0: Let's get our Bibles open. This is the part I love. Acts chapter 2. Let's get our Bibles open and let's all be looking at it together while you're opening that up. And by the way, I can't tell you grab one in front of you because we removed them until this pandemic's over because they're little paper COVID trails, right? That's what they say. So we removed them. So you've got to bring your Bibles, which I think is fantastic. So bring your Bibles. In the year 1873... Pretty sure we've got a couple people in Cornerstone that were still alive then. In the year 1873, nobody's laughing at my jokes. <laughs> D.L. Moody, a very young preacher, was in Dublin, Ireland, and getting ready to preach when an older preacher, his name was Henry Varland, said to him these words. Man, I forgot to put them on the screen for you, so you've got to really listen well. Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated, fully surrendered to him. I'll read it again. Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man or a woman fully surrendered to him. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened to Moody. In He's a very young preacher at this point, 1873. He's crossing back across the Atlantic. And he says this later to Henry Varlan when he connected with him later in life. He said to Varlan, Those were the words sent to my soul through you from the living God. And as I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with those words. And when I reached Chicago... The very paving stones seemed marked with those words. And the words were this, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully surrendered to him. Now, if you don't know this story, let me tell you, D.L. Moody went on to preach to an estimated 100 million people. 100 million people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to declare to you, and you're going to hear it throughout this message, if we are to be filled with the Spirit, if we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must be surrendered. We must be consecrated to Him. We sang about it this evening. And as we look to Acts chapter 2, instead of dissecting, Every single verse of Peter's sermon, we're going to answer this question. How does being filled with the Holy Spirit impact our witness of Jesus? And I'm going to give you four answers taken from the sermon of Peter. Here's the first. If you're filled with the Spirit, and I told you last week that is a continual Ephesians 5.18 Process Being baptized with the Spirit is a one-time event, the moment you get saved, but being filled happens over and over as we surrender to Him and as we walk with Him. Here's the first one. You will have an increased confidence and appreciation of God's Word. This is one of the marks of the Spirit's filling. And Christian, if you are not growing... Now listen, I want to say this, but it only really works with men. Because is what God said to Job? Gird up your loins and listen to me. But, you know, I can't really say that to ladies. It's, it just doesn't work. So here, you got to brace yourself. Are you ready? you got to brace yourself. Because I'm going to say something that's a little hard-hitting. And you might not like it at first, but I do want you to at least deliberate with it. Christian, if you are not growing in your love for God's Word. By the way, I think I just probably swept some of you into that. I just threw a little net out there and I bet I caught some of you. If you're not growing in your love for God's word, then you are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. For being filled with the Holy Spirit results in a growing love and appreciation for God's word. And all these churches that you read about, that you might visit, that have story time coming from their pulpits, that tickle your ears with mere emotionalism and wittiness, they are not churches that are spirit-filled. And all these believers who have little to no regard for the Word of God during the week, you don't even really pick it up? You're not reading, you're not meditating day and night so that you're a tree planted by streams of water, Psalm 1. Even if they are believers, if they are believers, they are not being filled with the Holy Spirit because being filled with the Holy Spirit will result, not may result, it will result in a growing love for God's word. And that might be a reality check for some of us. For the Spirit of God produces a love for the Word of God in the people of God, creating a powerful, powerful witness for Jesus. an increasing confidence in and appreciation for the Scriptures are supernatural evidences of the Spirit of God filling in your life. Now remember, go back to last week, go back to earlier in the chapter, chapter 2 of Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there were about 120 men and women, disciples in that upper room, and they had attracted a multitude of people all there for the day of Pentecost from all over the world, hundreds of thousands of Jews and converted gentiles all in jerusalem and they were curious some of them but a lot of them were convinced these people that are speaking in all of these earthly languages they are drunk that was the accusation so peter stands up in front of this multitude and the very first thing that he begins to explain is guys listen it's 9 a.m the third hour we're not drunk But then he goes on to the second thing, and he tells them, do you not even know that God foretold this day in the Hebrew Scriptures? Look what he says, verse 17. Peter's preaching, and he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, back up just for a moment and get kind of a wide lens understanding of Acts. There are 15 sermons in Acts. Ready? Just remember that. How many? 15, okay? Seven or eight of them, we're not quite sure, could be eight, might be seven, of them are preached by Peter. Now, I want you to think about this. Peter was a former fisherman. Peter was a former fisherman. In this sermon... He expounds on seven texts from the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, when you're talking to a Jewish person, don't say Old Testament. A non-Messianic Jewish person, say Hebrew Scriptures. So from the Hebrew Scriptures, which is somewhat of our Old Testament, Peter draws and he preaches and he expounds on seven texts yet he's an ordinary man given extraordinary power producing a deep conviction for the Bible. Now, I've got to say it again because I think 99.9 of you have never been to seminary. Most of you have never had formal training. You don't have a Master's of Divinity. You have not been to Bible school you are real you are ordinary christians by the way and i probably should not tell you this i've never been to seminary my master's was in counseling so i don't have a lot of formal masters of divinity training So this is an ordinary man given extraordinary power and it works the same for you and it works the same for me. And the same conviction and the same confidence is being given to all of us that are being filled with the Spirit. Now I told you I've never been to seminary but let me tell you what I have been to. An extraordinarily phenomenal experience that lasted two years in my life when I was a kid see, when I was young, around sixth grade, I learned of the word osmosis, and thought if I just put the Bible, this is true, and probably maybe there are other, I told you there's a lot of nerds that can probably be going to Pastor Kyle's Nerdcom, but I thought if I just put the Bible under my pillow and slept on it, maybe I'll be able to just absorb it and assimilate it into my mind. I truly believe that, and I did that. But I can confidently tell you, osmosis did not happen. But I'm going to tell you what did happen. The Holy Spirit did something in my life. A consuming desire to know God's word, sixth grade, came into me, raging through me. And to pray on my knees just filled me. And it stayed with me for two years, during which I just voraciously devoured the Word of God. And it began in this incident. I clearly remember it. I'm back in my bedroom in central New York. I am lying on my left side. I remember this with eerie clarity. It is 10 o'clock at night. I remember the night. I remember the time. And I am trying to find in my Bible, I didn't have the, the concordance at the, at the end of the Bible like, ...like I do now with that Bible... ...I'm trying to find the story of Samson. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking... ...and I cannot find it and I get frustrated... ...and I remember going out to the kitchen... ...it's a long hallway... ...going out to my my mom's kitchen... And I got a glass of orange juice and I came back and I put it on my nightstand and I laid back down on my left side and my Bible had fallen on the ground. I reached down to my open, upside-down Bible, brought it back up on my bed and I put my eyes down in the Bible and right where it opened was the story of Samson. Now, I want to tell you what happened in my life. I can't possibly tell you this well enough. It literally felt, I guess figuratively would be the better word, as if electricity traveled from my heels to the crown of my head, and warmth came all through me. It was the Spirit of God... Gripping me, and it lasted tenaciously. His grip for two years. I could not get enough of the Bible. I could not get enough time on my knees. I loved the Word of God. I had the highest regard for God's Word. It has stayed with me. I am sort of weird. I won't even put anything on my Bible. Because I want my Bible to be the biggest and highest authority in my life. I won't put my phone on the Bible. If I do, I feel guilty and I move it. Now, you don't need to do that. I'm not trying to preach legalism. I'm just telling you what came into me in sixth grade and it's lasted my entire life. This is the Spirit of God. And it may not have happened that way to you, but this is what the filling of the Spirit will do. He will increase your confidence in God's Word. He will increase your appreciation for God's Word. And that Word will begin to spill out of your mouth as you testify of your faith to those who need the gospel so the very first evidence or the very first impact of the filling of the holy spirit and your testifying of Jesus is he's going to increase your confidence and appreciation of God's word the second one is this you will have an increased understanding of and focus on Jesus Christ you hardly need to examine this sermon That Peter preaches to see that he's going to focus most centrally on Jesus. And by the way, think about this for a moment. Because I'm sure a lot of you, if not all of you, have read this sermon. But think about this for a moment. They just came through an experience where the Spirit of God came down on them with the sound as of a mighty rushing wind, appearing as if tongues of fire resting on them, and they're all speaking all of these different languages, supernaturally earthly languages, that none of them have ever studied. You would think, wouldn't you, that that Peter just is going to talk about the Spirit. That's what he just came through, just moments before this sermon. And if you go to a Pentecostal or a charismatic church service today, or if you read a book by a Spirit-filled author, the Spirit tends to be the chief and central person of the triune God. They talk about the Spirit more than anybody in the Godhead. They pray to the Spirit. By the way, if you go to your growth group and you use the questions that we have prepared, you're going to have a question in that discussion sheet Where in the Bible do you ever see anybody praying in the Spirit? And the answer is going to be, you don't. By the way, neither do you ever see anybody praying to Jesus. Even Jesus always prayed to the Father. They pray to the Spirit, though, in Pentecostal charismatic churches. And by the way, I'm not demeaning them. I think my brothers and sisters are awesome and their worship services are very much alive. But they cry out to the Spirit. They plead for the Spirit's filling. They talk about the Spirit's power for the miraculous. And if anyone in the Bible would example that, surely it would have been Peter in this sermon on this day of Pentecost. But he doesn't do it. He began the sermon answering their question in verse 12. Do you see it? They asked a question. What does this mean? And so he tells them the prophecy of Joel. It's being fulfilled in their midst, and God's pouring out his spirit on humanity. But then by verse 22, he completely, almost entirely focuses on Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. See, friends, I want you to hear this. When the Spirit of God continually fills you, you will have a greater clarity to see and understand and exalt the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is a byproduct of the Spirit's filling. He's going to move you to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to have a greater vision of Jesus, and His filling will increase that. Now you read the Old Testament... And it will suddenly be clear to you when the Spirit of God is filling you, this passage is talking about Jesus. That bronze serpent on a staff was a type. It was a sign. It was a shadow that begins to appear now, but it's going to have a fulfillment in the person of Jesus raised up on a cross. All of the divided The the divided Red Sea is a sign that points you to Jesus. The bread from heaven, the manna, is a sign pointing you to Jesus. The sacrificial system were signs pointing you to Jesus, finding, finding their fulfillment in his death, burial, and resurrection. The entire Old Testament is going to point you to Jesus. And here's the exciting part. When the Spirit of God begins really filling you, it's going to come alive and you're going to see Jesus. Jesus where Jesus needs to be seen and you will understand this if you have experienced it there will be a warming inside of you there will be a burning and that burning is this it's a conviction that you can't hold this information private you've got to tell somebody You've got to share this with someone. That's what the Spirit of God does. He fills you with an understanding of Jesus, and it burns in you until you share it with people, until you testify of him. See, the Spirit of God does many things, but his chief aim, his chief aim, is explained by Jesus himself. Look at what he says. When the Spirit of God comes, John 16... He's going to glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he's going to take the word that I have spoken, he's going to reveal it to you so that it burns inside of you and your eyes open and you're more appreciative and you're more focused on Jesus and you've got to tell somebody about it. You've got to share it with other people. Now let me remind you what we're doing because I've got two more to go. What we're doing is what will the impact of the filling of the Holy Spirit have on your witnessing? And what I just told you is it will increase your understanding and your focus on Jesus. You will exalt him and you will tell people about him. Number three, you will have an increased boldness that replaces fear for yourself and others. Now, I'm going to show you this in the sermon, but let me go back to little Tim Ackley of 6th grade. Now he's an 8th grader, two years later. And during those two years, the Spirit of God was filling me with a love for His Word and beginning to fill me with a desire to declare Jesus, but I could not do it. I was so saddled by fear. And then our class eighth grade class went on a trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It was a weekend trip. We were going to be in a hotel two nights, and I really had a crisis of belief. I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's true. How am I going to read my Bible with my friends all around? My best friends were going to be on this trip. They were going to be in the hotel room with me. So timid, Tim Ackley took his Bible and put it into the bottom of his luggage and made sure to put all of his clothes over it so nobody would see it. And when we got into the hotel that night, I took my whole suitcase into the bathroom of the hotel and shut the door and sat in the bathtub fully clothed and read my Bible. Which I thought was an ingenious plan until my best friend Artie Kiggins, wondering why I was in the bathroom so long, barged in unannounced, sees me in the bathtub with all my clothes on, reading the Bible, and before I know it, all 40 people on our class trip was hearing, were hearing Tim is reading his Bible in the bathtub. I don't really know if they were more alarmed that I was reading the Bible clothed in the bathtub or reading the Bible. I think it's the latter. But the Holy Spirit was leading me into an opportunity for my fearful heart to develop boldness. And that's what the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit will do. Now remember, back to Peter. 53 days previous to this sermon. 53 days. Now get, do the math. Little over seven weeks. Jesus was crucified, and early on that terrible day, early Friday morning, likely around two o'clock in the morning, as Jesus was being questioned and beaten by the Sanhedrin and their guards and spit on and humiliated, here out in the courtyard is Peter looking through the windows watching all of this when a servant girl begins to go, hey, I hear a Galilean accent in your voice. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? And three times this servant girl persists and three times and most vehemently the third time Peter denies it and finally with profanity and runs into the night in shame that's 53 days before he preaches this sermon but on this day this deserter is preaching to many of the same people who crucified jesus Filled now, listen, you've got to get this, filled with the boldness that the Spirit of God had given to him. And look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That takes a lot of guts. See, for most of us, and I don't know if you're like this or not, but sharing our faith with others is one of the most fearful things you can do. We put it off and we feel terrible for missed opportunities and then we resolve in our guilt to do better the next time and sputter into a halt before we can do it. The truth is, one of the evidences... Of the filling of the Spirit is a supernatural boldness. And afterward, you wonder, where on earth did that come from? Because that's not like me at all. And the answer is, it did not come from earth. It came from the, Son, the Spirit of God. And when they prayed, chapter 4, verse 31. Just flip forward two chapters. Chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Shaken. Now watch what happens. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the result. And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, do you see this? There are tangible evidences when the Spirit of God is filling you And this is one of them, that you will have a boldness. And Jesus even foretold this in Matthew 10. He says to these same disciples, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This boldness is not a spiritual gift of debate like some Christians think it is. It's not arguing with people. I'm going to tell you what the boldness is. You ready? It is a lessening of self-concern, a lessening of self-preservation, a lack of care for your self-reputation. It's the loss of fear of rejection, and it's a growing confidence. You hold the words of life, and you've been given the authority to tell other people about it. That's what that boldness is. And it leads us to our fourth and final evidence of the holy spirit's filling from this sermon number four you will have an increased ability to present the gospel in an effective manner last week i said that the day of pentecost had become for the jewish people two things it was a celebration of the giving of the law of god through moses and it was a celebration of their grain harvest But I want you to really key in on that first one. Celebrating when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. But I want you to go back in your mind to Exodus and remember what happened. What was the scene that was before his eyes when he walked down from that mountain? He saw Israel dancing around a golden calf in idolatrous worship. And the Bible tells us, Exodus 32, 28, that that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. That means they died. But at the conclusion of Peter's sermon, we're going to be told in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day, here's the same exact phrase, about 3,000 Souls do you see what God's doing? Moses comes down. The people are worshiping a, 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 an idol, and 3,000 of them die. The spirit of God comes down, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 souls are saved. You can't possibly overlook the connection. God is shouting from the rooftops, grace has come. The power of the Spirit is here. Salvation is for you. And here's your proof that it's forever better than the law. Because this one's by the Spirit of grace. I've sat under a lot of really powerful preaching in my life. Attended probably 100 conferences but I've never seen 3,000 people get saved. Never. Yet don't miss what the verse before it says, verse 40, and with many other words, this is not the whole sermon, but with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. In his preaching, what is he doing? He is witnessing. It's what I'm doing right now with you. It's what you do with your coworker. It's what you do with your neighbor. It's what we're all called to do to the end of the earth. And it leads us to our conclusion. Christian, I really want you to think about this. Do you want, I mean, just honestly think about this. I don't want any hands up or any, not at this moment. Just, I want you to reflect on this for a second if you would. I don't care if you're young, if you're older, it doesn't matter because you're all able to reflect on this. Do you truly hungrily desire to be filled with the Spirit? I kind of think not every Christian can honestly answer yes. But if you can answer yes to that, and you truly want to be filled with the Spirit, I'm going to tell you very simply how that takes place. It is not difficult. It is not a formula. There are no hoops that you've got to jump through. Here's how it takes place. Will you surrender and yield your life to him? Because you will not be filled with the Spirit if you will not surrender. Now, what does that look like? Do you have a sin in your life that you will not let go? You will not be filled with the Spirit. Do you have a lack of discipline in your life that you have not yet gotten the energy and the desire to overcome? You will not be filled with the Spirit. Are you attracted to the things of this world so much that it consumes your opportunities so to the point where you're really not serving God? You will not be served, filled with the Spirit. Do you have a broken marriage that you have not pleaded yet in confession and repentance for God to heal? You will not be filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, it, it must require that we all surrender and yield our lives to Him. It is the only means to be filled with the Spirit. And if you do that, Christian, you will be amazed by the love of God's word that floods into you, by the increased ability to focus on Jesus and make much of him to the unbelieving world, by the boldness that fills your heart, and by the effectiveness of your witness as people stop arguing and they listen." Not because you've debated them successfully. It's because the Spirit of God is working through you so powerfully. And as I close in prayer, I'm going to tell you that you have yet to see. I truly believe this and it is that you is pointing back at me as well. We have yet to see what God will do with us if we are fully yielded to him. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? Now let me end with this. And um, Pastor Kyle is going to come up here, and he's going to facilitate some prayer as the worship team comes up while I pray. But let me end with this: You don't have forever to live on this earth. And you don't know, and I don't know how much longer we have. I do know this. I want to go into eternity having served my God so well that I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you will not surrender nor yield, you are never going to hear that. You may be saved, but you're never going to hear him say, well done. you can yield. You can surrender. You could do that in sixth grade, and you could do that at 80 years old. And you could do that in Dublin, Ireland, and you could do that in Chicago. You most certainly could do that in eastern Pennsylvania. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we serve a mighty, mighty God. And Lord, you can do things through our lives and in our lives that we have no idea nor the imagination to truly comprehend. Lord, that is true And men and women throughout the last 2,000 years who were filled with the Spirit of God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that every single one of us would take that seriously.